circumcision. We sang about that. Tom, I appreciate you leading that song and remembering that's what our sermon's about today. Or did you just get lucky? I, I don't know which it was, but I appreciate that. And it's good to have Trevor back. Uh, by the way, Tom Tomley, I, I asked Trevor, I said, uh, I said something about, you must have got a lot of experience out on the road. He says, I can really put in a floor now. And I think you got that going on, so that's the fellow you need to get. He says he's real good with a mop and a broom, too, if anybody else needs that. So, uh, But I imagine he's glad to get back and be in school and not out there on the road working anymore. It's good to have him back. We have to make decisions. We've been talking about that. And Joshua said he made a decision. He and his household, as his leader of his family, they made a decision. And he called for all of Israel to make a decision. As we talk about this, we, we, we mentioned three things last time we make choices about. And uh, uh, we'll probably have one more lesson. And, and I, I want to group two more things today. We'll talk about that in a moment. And, and this isn't all the things we make choices about, but I hope this helps us to think about our life and the things we make choices about. The first thing we talked about was being happy or sad, joyous or to have sadness. And, and, and we make that decision. Uh, and, and we talked about that and, and made some examples with that. We make decisions about our attitude toward ourselves and others and whether to be a friend or an enemy. The first thing this morning I want to talk about is we make a choice whether or not to have a good or a bad reputation. I, I want to look at four scriptures with this point. The first one is Proverbs 22 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 22. In verse 1. Now this was written by Solomon. And Solomon, I, I, I don't guess at this time, had a good reputation. Even today, he doesn't have a very good reputation because of the choices he made. And you remember the story about Solomon and the things that he did. And sacrificing to idols just to make his wives happy. And so he doesn't have a very good reputation. In Proverbs 22, chapter 1, now this is what this fellow says who had lost his good reputation. A good man is to be, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Now Solomon had the great wealth, but he had lost his good name. And, and his perspective is that a good name is worth more than all of that wealth. And you'll remember he was so wealthy it said of him that he would sprinkle gold dust in his hair. You know, sometimes the young ladies, they'll put that gl that, the, the glitter makeup on just to get a little sparkle there. But I don't know any of them that will, spark, that, that will, that will put gold dust in their hair to get that little sparkle. That had to be pretty expensive. And he was so wealthy he could do that just to have a little bit of sparkle there. But he says it would be better not to have any of that and to have a good name. To be wealthy without a good reputation is to be poor. And isn't that really the opposite of the way the world thinks about it? And to be poor with a good reputation is to be rich. Isn't that the opposite of the way the world thinks about it? And it's better to die poor with a good reputation than to die rich with a bad reputation. Choices. We make our choice. Which is it going to be? Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let's look also to see what, what Solomon said. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1. And in much of this book, he's talking about the pain and the sorrow of sin, 
of what it brings about in our lives. And, uh, and he says this in verse 1, a good name is better than a good ointment. Now, ointment was used, number one, medicinally, but also it was used to improve and to make one glamorous. And whichever way you want to look at it, a good name is better than all the medicine you could ever take to help you from whatever ailment you have. It is better to die without medicine and to suffer all that must be suffered in all of the pain that must be suffered. It's better to go through all of that and to have a good name than to have all of this medicine and all this comfort that it brings and to have a bad reputation. And it's better to have a good name than to have all the ointment that will make your skin look better and make you smell better. It's better to have a good name than to smell good and to look good. Now the characteristics of a person who has a good name, and, and, and we must realize that having a good name and the way the world may look at it is sometimes different than really having a good name. I, I want to talk about two scriptures, and, and, and at first in preparing the lesson I said, nah, I'm just, I'm just going to reference these two, but I changed my mind. I want to look at them especially for the sake of our young folks, as they seem to be dealing with peer pressure and making these decisions more than us older folks, we made these decisions a long time ago. So let's look at these two scriptures. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now I know you old Bible students, you've seen this and read this and, and probably have it memorized, but, but I want us to, to turn to it and I want us to look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Now here the apostle says the first two words flee immorality. To have a good name we must flee immorality. We cannot be involved in immorality and have a good name. Now understand from a worldly point of view we can be in all sorts of immorality and have a good name as far as the world is concerned but not as far as what God is concerned. We want a good name as far as God is concerned, and if that's a good name with the world, that's fine, and oftentimes it is. But if it isn't a good name as far as the world is concerned, that's okay too. And now look at the rest of the passage, verse 18. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. To have a good name, we must glorify God in our body. The things we do, the places we go, the things we say, the things we wear, our behavior, everything must glorify God. And when it does, we're going to have a good name and a good reputation. There may be some people in the world that sneer at that and make fun of that and joke about that, but if that's the way they're going to be, we just don't care about that. We want a good name as far as God is concerned, and oftentimes that'll be great with the world, even if they do secretly admire us, but publicly make fun of us. We care about having a good name as far as God is concerned. Now go with me one other scripture, and that's in Titus chapter 2. So we glorify God with our bodies. We flee immorality. Titus chapter 2 it puts it a little bit different way. And here Paul is talking 
to the slaves, and we can equate this with our employers or with our, our teachers, all those who have authority over us, and just jumping into the middle of verse 10 of Titus chapter 2, and it says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn. He's saying, slaves, do this. So that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. So we glorify God in our body and we adorn his doctrine, his teaching, the things in the word of God. And that's how we have a good reputation or a good name. There are some words associated with people like us. Dependable, trustworthy, reliable, honest, integrity. Our yes is yes and our no is no. We do what we say. People know they can depend on us and so we've got a good name. I've got a personal story I want, to, I want to share with you. This happened over 20 years ago, but I remember it as if it were yesterday. I was working for a company in Leesburg, Florida, and I went to Alabama to, uh, to, uh, to secure a warehouse up there because we needed one. Went up there, and I was dealing with it and bargaining with the owner and all of that, and we came to our, our conclusion of what we were going to do. There were no contract signs. We simply shook hands. He trusted me and I trusted him. And you really look at it from a business point of view, it, it, it was not real smart on my behalf because we put hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment, which back then was a lot more than it is today, and it wasn't the smartest thing, but we trusted each other. And that's with Christians. People trust us. They can rely on us. People know we'll do what we say. Well, you know, sometimes something might happen that's out of our control. But even when that happens, we still do the best we can and we make up for anything that's lost. We do what we say. And people don't hear excuses from us all the time. You know, in raising children, you have to teach them. You have to get beyond this. It's not my fault, they'll say. It's not my fault. I don't care if it's your fault or not. <laughs> you know, it happened. Deal with it. Make it right. With Christians, people can count on us and depend on us, and we're not going around all the time. It's not my fault. <laughs> we gave our word, and we make good on our word. We take responsibility even when we make mistakes. And, you know, I'll tell you something. That's what a boss wants more than anything from an employee People to take responsibility. They know people make mistakes. And when you make one, be honest about it. Be forthright about it and say, I made a mistake. Don't say it's not my fault. <laughs> say you made a mistake and make it right. Now I uh, I want to give some uh, I want to give some illustrations. Um, I, I found this one. I thought it was very good. It's from Good Housekeeping, April 1985. Six ways to learn everything you need to know about a man. I thought that was good. And there are some key words here with this, whether you agree with it or not. And the point is we have our reputation depending on people's observation of us. They look at us. They observe. They form an opinion. 
Here's the six ways. Number one, watch. Watch him drive in heavy traffic. Number two, play. Watch him play tennis. Oh, no, excuse me. I got that one wrong. Play. Play tennis with him. Do something. See how he is. Number three, listen. Listen to him talk to his mother when he doesn't know you're listening. Number four, see. See how he treats those who serve him, such as waiters, servers, maids. Number five, notice. Notice what he's willing to spend his money on. Number six, look. Look at his friends. Hey, you, you catch all those words, watch, play, listen, see, notice, look. People observe us and they make an opinion about our character. And from that opinion, we have a good or a bad reputation. Oh, by the way, with a good housekeeping article here, if you still don't know after those six things, if you still can't make up your mind, then look at his shoes. A man who keeps his shoes in good repair generally tends to the rest of his life too. I thought about that. I said, yeah, that's silly. But then I really started thinking about it. Now, I don't look at, at, at the shoes of you people here because I already know you. But the people I don't know, I start at the top with how they do their hair if they have any. And uh, how they do their face or whether they shave and, and what they're wearing. And I look at their shoes. Maybe you do the same thing. And, and, and I thought about getting a new polish and shine on mine before I came here, but I didn't do that. So y'all might be looking at my shoes today. And, and I don't look so much to see, well, are they fan are they, they got fancy shoes? Do they have, you know, really nice shoes, really expensive shoes? Or do they have really cheap shoes? That's not what I'm interested in. Are they concerned enough to wipe the dirt off of them? Or do they have shoes that are filthy, dirty, and they're just too lazy to, to, to even wipe them off when they got just piles of dust on them? That's what I'm looking for because that tells me something about that person and their character. Now, uh, I think that's good, a good illustration. I want to tell you another story. It's about a man named Kenny Owens. We, we've been, had him in our bulletin for some time. Dennis and Donnie went, uh, Donna went to church with him up in uh, Camden, South Carolina. And he used to work for a company, some sort of factory type setting, setting and uh, they had a break room. And when he was on break, he would talk to people about God and the Bible, and he got a reputation. And people would say this, Kenny's in the break room, don't go in there unless you want to talk about God. That was his reputation. If you're around Kenny, you're going to talk about God. I heard another story to him. He'd go to ball games after he retired. Go to the ball game, be up in the bleachers. He'd be talking to people about God. That's his reputation. Well, with the world, that's sort of a bad reputation. But with God, that's a really good reputation. You see how that works? I'll tell you the result of Kenny Owens' life. He's converted more people than, I, than anybody else I know in the present day and age. I'm not talking about the day and age when people would go to gospel meetings. You get 100 baptized all in, all in one week or something like that. I'm talking about today. And why is that? Because he's talking about God and the Bible all the time. With some people, that's a bad reputation. But with God, that's a good reputation, and he is a very effective worker for the Lord. You know, it takes a lifetime to build a good reputation, but it can be lost in a split second. People are watching us all the time. As Christians, we're glorifying God. We're glorifying his doctrine. We have a good reputation. 
because we're living the way God wants us to live. And people can trust us and depend on us because we're making the right choices. A good reputation or a bad one. The second thing I want to talk about this morning and for the rest of my time is we make choices with how we deal with mistakes. We already talked about that a little bit. If we're going to be responsible, if we're going to make excuses, if we're going to be afraid to own up to what we've done and what mistakes we've done, well, that's a choice. That's all a choice. There's some things we must realize about that. But before we do that, I, I, want, to, I want to go to Philippians chapter 3. And, and you know, the Apostle Paul had made a lot of mistakes. And if he wanted to, he could be... He could have been so hung up with his mistakes that he would just be paralyzed and never have done anything. You know, I've done a lot of bad things in life. And I'm sorry for those things. And I'm ashamed of those things. And unfortunately, being a preacher, you know, your private life becomes public a lot more than a lot of other people. So a lot of people know about my mistakes. But I tell you one thing. I'm glad I never killed anybody. And I'm sure glad I wasn't out there persecuting the church and dragging people off to prison and making sure to the best of my ability they would die because they believed in Jesus Christ. Now, I never did that, and I'm glad uh, because I'd be a whole lot more ashamed than I am now. So Paul, I think, had a lot more to get over than I had to get over. And I want to look at just a few verses because of his attitude of dealing with it. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy to do what he says, but we all have to deal with our mistakes and come to terms with it, and we got to move forward. And I, I think he exemplifies that. In verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as already having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And you know we got to do that. You know, I cannot wallow in all the mistakes that I've made and all the shame I brought, brought upon myself and other people who know, I can't wallow in that. I've got to deal with it, and I've got to move on to be productive. He says, I forget what lies behind, and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I focus on what's really important, not on the terrible things and bad mistakes I did in the past. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. So we're all supposed to have this attitude. And we'll stop there in the reading. There's some things we need to realize about mistakes. Number one, everyone makes them. Theodore Roosevelt said, the only man who never made a mistake is the man who never does anything. If you do something in life, and if you're working hard to do the best that you can, you're going to make some mistakes. And I tell you what, everybody in life knows that. And the only people who don't know that are the ones sitting around not trying to do anything and not trying to make an impact on anything. And they may sit around thinking they're perfect, but the people that are really trying hard, they know everybody makes mistakes. Edison spent more than $100,000 to obtain 6,000 different fiber specimens and only three of them proved to be satisfactory. Now, I don't know what $100,000 today would be versus that money, but it would be a million or so bucks, I'm sure. And, and, and so, yeah, a lot of mistakes. I don't know. See, 6,000 minus 3, what would that be? 5,997 mistakes to get three of them right? Each failure brought him that much closer to the solution to his problem. 
He had to go through those mistakes. Henry Ford was right when he said that failure was the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Everybody makes mistakes, and we have to realize that. Everyone has had to repent. And we, you know, we make a mistake, and we got to repent. We got to go to a boss. We got to go to a parent. We got to go to a teacher, and we got to apologize and repent. Well, we shouldn't feel so bad about that that it keeps us from doing it because everybody's had to do it. Peter, after denying Christ three times, well, Jesus asked him three times, "Do you love me or not?" Paul, after persecuting and killing Christians, he had to repent. Peter, after Paul confronted him about being a hypocrite in Antioch, now he was an apostle at the time, made a big mistake. And another apostle had to call him on it. Now the Bible doesn't say whether he repented or not, but I trust that he did. I, wanted to, I found this one. I have to share it with you. A Virginia volunteer fire department got a brand new Jaws of Life. You know, that's the thing where they can rip open cars and rescue people and things like that. They're really proud of this, so they have this demonstration out there and everything, and, and, and they get a, an old 1966 Buick, and, and they rip off the doors, and they pull the steering wheel out of the windshield and knock out all the windows, and at a certain point, a voice cried out, Hey, what are you doing with my car? Can you imagine being the guy standing there and seeing your car get destroyed by the jaws of life? They were sorry about that. And the president of the volunteer fire department promised that they would pay the owner for the loss of his car. And all he could say was, it was just a mistake. Everybody's made mistakes. Everybody's had to repent. And we, too, will do the same. God already knows when we make a mistake. Now you think about that, you know, you make a mistake, you're ashamed of it and everything. God already knows it. We can't hide from God. Jonah shows us that more than any others. And it's, it's only when we exercise our right to choose do we exercise our right to change. You see, it's about choices, and if we don't make the choice to repent, we're just making the choice to stay in the sin. If we don't make the choice to move on with life, we're making the choice to wallow and not move on with life. That's why the Bible in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, Peter says, save yourselves. It's a choice. You've got to make a choice to repent and to be baptized. Well, I want to look at a few scriptures. Go with me over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We must repent and obey God. You know, when we make mistakes, it, it can be really hard. It can be really hard to go and to talk to the people we need to talk to. And, and it would be a lot easier just to try to forgive, uh, try to forget it, try to cover it up, try to wipe, you know, sweep it under the rug. But we've got to bring ourselves. We've, we've got to have this courage that God continuously tells Joshua Take courage over and over and over again. And we've got to be like Joshua in Acts 17 and verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. In verse 31, because there's going to be a day of judgment. As Christians, we realize we've got to take courage. We've got to repent. We've got to change. We've got to make these hard choices that, quite honestly, 
most people in the world aren't going to make. That's why they're in the world and not a Christian. Turn over there uh, to, to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. And, and the, the, the sooner that we do this, the better. The sooner that we make the the choice, the sooner that we repent, the sooner that we talk to the people we need to talk to, the sooner that we change instead of repeating the same bad behaviors, the easier it is. That's why in Ephesians 4 and verse 26, Paul says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with it quickly. Deal with it fast. Notice the next verse it says, verse 27, and do not give the devil an opportunity. You know, the longer we wait, the more opportunity we're giving the devil. The harder it's going to, and believe me now, the devil wants us to wait. The devil wants us to put it off, and, and, and he wants it years and years and years and years, and our conscience is used to it, and we forgot about it, and it doesn't bother us anymore. He wants us to wait and to wait and to wait. God says, don't wait. If you make a mistake, deal with it right then. Don't wait Six weeks, eight weeks, two months, tell your review or something, tell your boss, deal with it right then. It's always a lot easier. You know, those who are employers and teachers and all that will tell you, if someone makes a mistake and they come to you and they tell you right away, you're going to have a lot better attitude toward that person. But if they've tried to hide it for months and years and then for some reason they figure they got to make up for it, it's a whole lot harder to deal with. Deal with it right away. Go with me over to James chapter 5. A lot of times it helps to talk to people about it. And of course, we, when we make mistakes, we don't want to talk to people about it, do we? We don't want to tell anybody about it. We don't want to tell anybody, look, I made a mistake. I did something that was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. Now i got to deal with it. We don't want to tell anybody. We don't even want to tell God, and God already knows. James chapter 5 and verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. This was a fellow who had made a mistake. He had sinned. God's chastening him because of that sin and he's sick. Call for the elders to deal with it. And if it is one of these occasions that sin is involved, well, you'll be forgiven because you're correcting it. You're getting it right in your life. But the point is, get some help. And, and who better to help than the elders? So don't be afraid to talk about it. If you need help, get some help. Romans 15 verse 14 talks about how we as Christians can admonish or counsel or advise one another. Get some help from the elders and Christians who can help us. Now, one, one other point before I go on and, and, and move to something else is in Hebrews chapter 12, we, we have to learn from our mistakes. We have to learn from our mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And, and we have a choice whether to deal with it, whether to deal with it quickly, whether to learn from it, or just live in denial. And, of course, we, we are to learn from it. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, here the apostle is talking about the fact that God chastens us. Well, he, 
He's chasing us because we've got some things we need to deal with in our lives. We've made mistakes. We've got sin that's not being dealt with. We're not growing and maturing as we ought to. We need to be doing things we're not. And so God chastises us. Well, the, the, the analogy here is to like a, 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 a parent and a child. Why do parents chastise children? Why does a parent give a child a spanking? Why does a parent put a child in timeout or give them a verbal reprimand? It's to get them to change, to correct, to repent. That's what God does for us. The middle of verse 5, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines or chastises, and he scourges every son whom he, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with us a son and so on. Talks about that discipline. And so we have to learn from our mistakes just like a parent wants a child to learn from his mistakes so he gives him a spanking, puts him in time out, grounds him, takes the car away, takes us, takes a cell phone away, whatever. So God does to us so that we learn from our mistakes. But it's our choice. Are we going to learn or are we not? How do we deal with mistakes with other people? So, so far we've talked about how do we deal with our own mistakes. And you know, uh, I, I don't know about you, but we, we can tend to be really forgiving of ourselves. You know? I tell you who I can cut the most slack to. Myself. When it comes to somebody else, I might, I might not be cutting them so much slack, but boy, if I, I'm, I cut myself more than anybody else. Isn't that the way that we tend to be? But we need to watch out about that. We must realize this. Have people sinned against us? Yes. Have people made mistakes and things that have hurt us? Yes. But it's a choice how we deal with that. We must realize that other people makes, make mistakes just like we do. We have to realize that we have let other people down just like they have let us down. And we have to realize that we've hurt other people just like they have hurt us. It may not be the same person. It may not be in the same way. But we have done the exact same thing, if not to them, but to somebody else. We need to realize that. In James chapter 2, this is our last scripture and the lesson is yours. I don't know about you. It's easier for me to deal with my mistakes than to deal with the mistakes of other people. Like I said, because I'm much more merciful to myself. And i got to work really, really hard to be merciful to other people. James chapter 2, verse 8, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scriptures. Now, what is that royal law? Here it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. In other words... We are to cut other people as much slack as we cut ourselves. If I can speak in that just general vernacular. We are to be as merciful and forgiving of other people as we are of ourselves. We are to be as understanding of other people as we are ourselves. I don't know about you. A lot of times I can understand why I made a mistake. But when it comes to somebody else, I can't ever understand why they would do something like that. You see, because 
I'm very understanding when it comes to my mistakes because I know, I know how hard my life can be sometimes and I know how difficult things can be sometimes. And I know situations can be hard sometimes. And sometimes I, you know, I just, you know, I just don't think right. But, you know, everybody does that sometimes. So I can be very forgiving and very understanding of myself. But other people, I just could never understand how anybody would ever do that. We are to live by the royal law and be as forgiving and understanding of other people. Not that we're excusing sin with ourselves or with others. James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Interesting, though, how James talks about this mercifulness. And just right within this immediate context. In verse 12, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What that is saying is, if we do not treat other people as we treat ourselves, and within this context, if we do not choose to deal with other people and their mistakes at least as well as we deal with ourselves, we've got a problem. Have you ever known somebody who is so forgiving of themselves, but when you make a mistake, man, they are on you and on you and on you, and it is relentless. But when they make a mistake, you know, it's like over and done with, and boy, you never hear anything else about that. I can't stand those people. I'm not talking about joking around, because I joke around with Beth. Hey, I've got a good memory. I'm not talking about that. I can't stand those people. Because they're hypocrites. And I don't like hypocrites. As Christians, we live by the royal law. We don't excuse sin. We deal with sin. But we are as forgiving of ourselves. We're as forgiving with others as we are of ourselves. And as understanding with others as we are of ourselves. We make that choice. Choices. I hope this series, we'll probably have one more lesson. and i got another little section of things I want to group together. I hope it's helping all of us to think about the choices we are making. So some of these things we all make, but the choices you have to make may be different. Um, I, I can't think of an exception we always have a choice. Always have a choice. And as Christians, as Christians, we make the right choice. Let's extend the gospel invitation. If you get your songbook out, it's a choice whether to be a Christian or not. And it's a choice whether or not to be faithful to God. That's our choice. Who will follow Jesus? In other words, who will make the choice to follow Jesus? If you're a Christian today, you've made that choice. And if you're faithful to God at this very moment, you've made that choice. If you're not a Christian, though, won't you make the choice? If you're a Christian, you've fallen away, you've turned away from the truth, won't you make the choice again to follow Jesus? You know what you must do to be a Christian, just believing in Jesus Christ 
obeying him, making your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and repenting of your sins, that's just changing, correcting your mistakes, and then being baptized for the remission of your sins, and you'll begin following Jesus this very day. If we can help you at all this morning, I want you to come to the front now as we stand and sing.